Mic check with Stylist B. 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 Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Sutterback Check with me, the one and only Stylist B, where we are always bringing you the latest and greatest, not only in the entertainment industry, but also with entrepreneurs and innovators and game changers. And of course, this episode is no different. I have with me the culture bearer of New Orleans. He won't say it, but I will. Super talented and just all around phenomenal guy, Mr. Gus Bennett, the photographer. <laughs> How are I you? I like the V. You like the V? Like you have to, you know. <laughs> <laughs> How are you? I'm good. I can't complain. How you been? I'm doing well better now because you're sitting you. in my chair, you know, talking to yeah, me. Yeah, we've both been busy, so we finally slowed down a bit to chat. Yes, and I know how you are about, he is like phenomenal behind the camera. He refuses to get in front of the camera. And every now and then you've been doing yeah, interviews yeah. and photos. So I'm like, you know, I might be able to ask him about season three. Well, you know, with me, being in front of the camera is always about timing. So, yeah. you know. Usually I let kids take my pictures, kids and elderly people, because yeah. their timing is so terrible, and the picture's always perfect when they just go click, 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 and just <laughs> go. And, you know, when I get in front of the camera with a seasoned professional, mm -hmm. I, I'm at their will, and I'm not used to that. So I like being behind the camera. You like, so what you're saying is you're more comfortable in control. Exactly, <laughs> exactly, exactly. So listen, it's... For me, I didn't want to say like photographer because I do believe you are the photographer. And that's not to say that there aren't other photographers that exist. But what I have seen you do with photography is for sure photojournalist at its finest. Yeah, you yeah. know, you tell stories. You have all of these cool projects. One of my favorite, the New Orleans People Project, is how we met. Yep, yep. And how many years did that go on? That was from 2013 and half of 2018. Five and a half yeah, years. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be starting it up again. That's crazy. Like, what? You know what I mean? What photography project do you know that extends for five years and pretty much captures the whole entire city and then evolves to other places? Well, it evolved to the LGBT edition of it. We mm -hmm. did a, uh, a series on the Girl Scouts. Yes. We did the Offbeat Music Award edition. Um, we did the immigrant worker edition mm -hmm. of it. It is constantly evolving. Yeah. Um, I was hired by um, um, a company out in Mississippi. So there is a version of it that was done in Mississippi. It was okay. with the 100 Men Blues Halls. Got it. With Rachel Dangerman. Mm -hmm. And we just shot 365 people for one year. So they had enough images to post for one day out of a whole year. And this is the year that they're posting it also. Oh my gosh, so that's, well where can we see that? Cause that's exciting. Uh, it's the 100 Men Hall DBA uh, Benevolence Club. Okay, okay. You know, yeah. We're, we're gonna, get, but if we're you gonna Google, make sure we get it and yeah. we'll add it to yeah. the edit so that I you think guys if you can check just it out. put in 100 Men Hall, mm -hmm. it'll pop up. Okay, 100 Men Hall, I'm, you know yeah. I'm checking it out. So pretty much we shot a, a lot of blues musicians, mm -hmm. a lot of people who were affiliated with that, that hall when they were kids, mm -hmm. now they're adults now. Um, and it was just amazing. I think it took me two weekends to shoot it. Okay, two weekends to shoot 365. Two. Yeah, I mean I had no, 100 fun. men. Yeah, well it was That's men crazy. and women, families. Uh, we did a little drum club from a high school, mm -hmm. so it was pretty much open. It was done in uh, Bay St. Louis. It was okay. open to the city, and people just came in. The first day was kind of slow because people didn't know who I was, and once they saw the pictures going out, That's people it. just showed up. 
Once so, you see the work, you yeah, you are yeah, instantly yeah. in love. Because it was supposed to be, we were supposed to finish it in one week, mm -hmm. the first weekend. And it got so popular, we just stayed another weekend. Yeah, that's, that's yeah, pretty much yeah. how it happens. Yeah. When I, I will never forget, I think I was... I was directing Baduisms. Yeah. And then I think it was Tanya. Tanya Boy came Tanya and Boy told Cannon. me, Oh my God, I love your energy. You need to go and sit down with Gus Bennett. And I'm yeah, like, Oh, yeah. okay. And I came and I never left. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I remember, I remember meeting you and it was almost like an hour after I met you. You uh -huh. had the security code and the key to the studio. I did. And you were pretty much the manager of the whole thing. I was like, I love this. I wanted to protect you because I saw, I literally saw your heart the first yeah. time I saw you, yeah. you know? And I was like, I love what you're doing. I also wanted to protect your space. And yeah. then I just was excited to be whatever type of vessel I needed to be yeah. for. You did an excellent job, too. Thank you. <laughs> you so you know what, I, I asked you this before, but on camera, like, what made you do the New Orleans People Project? So I was just leaving Southern University. I was at SUNO yeah. for years, almost almost 20 years. Yeah, I was about to say two decades. Yeah. I was at SUNO years. And I, and I decided to leave, yeah. you know, because it got, the, the, you know, after Katrina, things were different. Mm -hmm. I, I still loved the place, but it was about time I left. Yeah. And the New Orleans People Project was my way of telling the city I work for myself. Mm -hmm. I, I hate passing out business cards. Now that sounds odd, but I hate passing out business cards right. because it attracts the wrong type of clients. Mm -hmm. I, and I hate to say this also, I don't like shooting everybody. Most of my projects are free and open to the public. Yeah. So you have to come in with the right spirit. Yeah. The wrong spirit will never get you in one of my projects because I don't go out recruiting folks it's always a word of mouth. Yeah. So the project was initially started so I can let the city know I work for myself. Mm -hmm. But it was also about letting the, the people who were born and raised here get introduced to the people who came in after Katrina. Yeah. And I said that wrong because it should be the other way around. Yes, the people but who I know came what you here. meant. Yes. Right. So the folks who came here, it was their, my way of saying, look, introduce yourself to the city. Because mm -hmm. my grandmother had a quote, if you're the last person in her house, you're supposed to introduce yourself. We've been sitting here and you just walked just in, so you valid. need to tell us who you are. Yeah, valid point, valid. And it was supposed to run for one year. Yeah, it was. And after the first year, I think we talked about it. And we were like, we couldn't stop. We couldn't stop, it was, it, it was hooked. I was hooked on it, and I st I'm gonna start it up again, um, and hopefully the next time there won't be an end, because yeah. it's not a hard project to do. Yeah. You know, people think it's time consuming. Some of the stories are really, really uh, good. Mm -hmm. And some there were some stories that sound like they were tragedy, but it was when people share their uh, personal thoughts with you, mm -hmm. you gotta always appreciate that. Yeah. I'll give you a perfect example. There was a lady who came in who had like a crescent moon shape in her forehead. Yeah. And I had one rule with the New Orleans People Project. The only thing I would photograph off a person's face it's something that's on your face that won't be there in two weeks. So if it was a pimple or bump, it got photoshopped out. Mm -hmm. Everything else, I left it. Yeah. But for this particular lady, I started to photoshop shop this crescent moon out. And had I photoshopped that, that little mark on her forehead, it was almost like that Mary J. Blige mm -hmm. scar. And when she came back and gave me her story, I found out she was pistol whipped. And part of her story was about that scar and she later went on to get educated she's self-sufficient she's a counselor now she's actually counseling people on domestic abuse mm -hmm. and battery so the story became a positive story out of a tragedy and yeah. had i 
photoshopped that mark out, the stories would have been inaccurate because she did mention the mark on her forehead. Yeah. And she also told me, she said, Gus, when I first arrived here, um, it was about trust with her. It was a trust issue. And she said, I had a pistol with me and a knife. And so the, the, the whole project allowed her and myself to trust each other, trust somebody. Mm -hmm. it, it, it could have been anybody, but we had a nice dialogue. We're the best of friends now. Well, and I would, to be honest with you, I would say that experience itself mm -hmm. was healing for anybody involved. Yeah, yeah. Even when you didn't even know you needed healing. Exactly, exactly. It was, you know, therapeutic. Yeah. It was cathartic. It was just something about the way you set the mood, the yeah. music that you chose, and just yeah. how you allow people to show up and then show, bring something that meant something to them. Because what yeah. happened is they would start sharing their story. Exactly. And you're just the shooting, and then the images would just be amazing. Because yeah. most of the time, people didn't even know I was shooting. So it was, with me, I use psychology to get good photos. Mm -hmm. I, I make people believe that we're just having a conversation. And part of the conversation, I just have a camera in my hand. Mm -hmm. But if you remember, the music was set in such a way where the music was coming from the ceiling straight yeah. down on them. But where I was standing, there was no music. Right, so I right. was able to hear everything they said and they couldn't hear me. So they couldn't hear my camera clicking mm -hmm. and the whole time, they're just sitting there waiting to be photographed. I would have gone through 30, yeah, 40 shots. I was you done. You were like, oh, we're good. Because they're like, well, let me know when you want. Yeah, like, no, I, yeah I got we're done. You know. So I, I just, I, it's always yeah. going to be one of my favorite things yeah, that I've yeah. ever had the privilege of being a part of. Yeah. And then it was celebrated in all types of festivals. You, you got a residence. Now, I wouldn't say you got it from that because there's other projects. But yeah. you even had a residency with the Joan Africa. With the Joan Mitchell Center. Yes, with the Joan Mitchell so, Center. So let me back up just a little. So that that New Orleans People Project was celebrated at the Essence Music Festival. Mm -hmm. I walked in and it was hanging from the rafters. Yes. And I remember I couldn't go and see my own exhibition because I was under contract to mm -hmm. work the empowerment stage. Yep. So the, the lady who was my supervisor at the time said, Gus, just go over there, take a look at it, pretend like you're just walking past it, and, and then come back. It was, it was, it was breathtaking. Crazy. Yeah. I, yeah. I walked in like, oh yeah. my God, did you know? Remember I was yeah. calling you? Yeah. Like, it was like bigger than life. Yeah. You know, and they even had the little pamphlet. Yeah. And then it went on to be featured at Jazz Fest. Yeah. So Jazz Fest featured it twice. Yes. And they, they, uh, the second edition of the New Orleans People Project was the New Orleans People Project Street Edition. Mm -hmm. So we left the studio for a moment and then we went to the street. So I tell people, you know, we think of this this city is, as a city of culture, but I know it's full of cultural things and mm -hmm. cultural icons, but culture doesn't exist first. People make this city. Yeah. And that's why it was so important for me to call it the New Orleans People Project instead of the New Orleans People, plural, yeah. project. Yeah. We own the culture first. We bring the culture. And, and, and that's what, when, when people from outside of the city see New Orleans, what they're looking at is the people first. Mm -hmm. And when you get that good feeling, it's from a person. There's always someone here to help, to assist, to walk you around. You can't do that in any other city because yeah. you know you start looking at people sideways like, what do they want? You can meet someone here in January and come back in June for another festival and yeah. you have a place to stay. Yep. And they don't want anything. It's just, sometimes it's just a beautiful friendship and that's what I love about this. Yeah, city. I love that too and I love as it went on, like you could literally look through the pictures and feel like you knew the culture yeah, of New Orleans. Yeah. It literally told the story via pics. Yep, yep. So then you, and I'm, I'm, the timeline is uncertain because you had 
projects overlapping. Yeah. But then you did the 12 series and Black Code, which yeah. was like... Yeah. <laughs> so the 12 series, it's kind of hard to explain what the 12 was about. And if you notice, a lot of my project, the projects, once I finished the New Orleans People project, mm -hmm. they either had a spiritual overtone or a political overtone. They did. Because when I did the 12 people thought I was talking about a religious something mm -hmm. they were thinking 12 disciples but in actuality what I was doing was talking about my grandmother because the studio that I inherited was her home mm -hmm. for over 55 close to 60 years and so I, I remember photographing the scuff marks in the wooden floor from the front to the back mm -hmm. and the scuff marks were embedded inside of the photos the 12 was kind of alluding to the personalities that she expressed because she was a businesswoman, and most of those personalities were about survival. Um, there were times where she had to wear the mask mm -hmm. and her masks changed often. And so I tried to capture as many of her moods, some of those moods I didn't like even though I was her grandson. Mm -hmm. and, and when I first started the project, I was in a state of being rebellious towards her when she would just, you know, just act funky and mean with me. In the room that I was shooting in, she never let anybody sit in that room. And the only person who would come through her front door was the insurance man when they used to carry the little mm -hmm. briefcase and her, and her pastor. Everybody else had to go around the back. And so when I inherited her place, the first thing I did was took a sledgehammer to her wall out of rebellion. Mm -hmm. And I ended up falling <laughs> 15 feet from a ladder because I did that, it was almost like her spirit was yeah. still in that room. And after that, I said, no more. So we completely remodeled the place and we started shooting. And that was the first project in tribute to her, the 12 series. Mm -hmm. It was just all of her multiple personalities as expressed through other people. But I never told the people that. Yeah, I, yeah, I never yeah, knew it. And I was helping yeah, with the project. Yeah. I never knew. I mean, it just looked like royalty. It looked yeah, like yeah. evolution. I mean, it, it was so many things that you could yeah, get from it. Yeah. So I guess I never really cared to be like, this is what it's supposed to be. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, and then what about the Black Code? And, and so black the 12 code. evolved to the Black Code series. Okay. The, now, the Black Code series had nothing to do with historical black codes. It had nothing to do, do with laws or rules that would persecute or punish black people for being black. Mm -hmm. But my Black Code was about expressing our identity through shape and yeah. form, that our presence is still here. So you can think of it as one or two ways. You could think of it as a, as a white space with a black hole mm -hmm. or a white space with a black mark. Mm -hmm. So however you look at it, because if you see a white space and there's something black on it, most people would think, that's a hole. Mm -hmm. I saw it as our inclusion in this white space. Mm -hmm. So black space was about our presence, our form, and how it took up this space and created our own unique identity. It wasn't about the person at all. So I spray painted everybody with black soybean powder, Which and I they remember. became these beautiful <laughs> statues. The only difference between a black code image and a jigaboo type photo is if they open their eyes. Mm -hmm. But I kept, re I kept telling people for the session to open your eyes and look up. But I never wanted them to open their eyes. I wanted them to close their eyes and just kind of look up and envision themselves being uplifted. Mm -hmm. So I, if I say look at the light, all they had to do was look up. And yeah. th that project broke all kind of rules because you had to create shadows on top of a shadow. Yeah to get it right because if you didn't light it right because there was no contrast no depth no dimension to the body 
and one day I ran out of the, the powder. Spray. Yeah. And that's when the three-dimensional quality came in because it was the spray plus the color of their skin. Mm -hmm. And what was unique about that project, I thought it would work with everybody. And I photographed one Caucasian woman and I knew immediately, it no, it does not work. But it did work with folks of Latino mm -hmm. background, even a Vietnamese woman. And okay. anybody that had, and I hate to say this, some but type of melanin. some type of melanin, it worked. Because if it was a Caucasian, anybody, it was almost insulting. Why are you doing this? Why did you do that? Mm -hmm. And it didn't work. And the person I spray painted immediately knew it didn't work for her. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this is the I guess the thing for me is like, you know, you know, photographers, they shoot, you know, weddings, yeah. graduations, portraits, yeah. all type of engagement photos, etc. What made you say, I want to basically tell real stories and have true projects of depth and substance? Well, my mother, my mother saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. So she kind of my mother was ordained minister. And at the time she gave me the camera, she wasn't an ordained minister. She was just a housewife with six kids. And I remember telling her I wanted to be a photographer. This was, it had to be fourth, fifth grade. Mm -hmm. And she bought the camera. So all of my life I've had a camera. But she couldn't afford the studio lights. She couldn't afford the extra stuff to go mm -hmm. with it. But I do remember her charging over three, three grand on a huge Bronica ETRS medium format camera, mm -hmm. the light meter, some reflectors couple of lenses tripod mm -hmm. so basically what I had to work with was the available light and to this day I only use one light with everything yeah. it's either a window light or a LED beauty mm -hmm. dish and so I never said I wanted to be a photographer but I said I wanted to learn photography right and I always approach it from the perspective that I want my image to look like this painting and then I started studying the light mm -hmm. of Rembrandt and seeing how they lit their photos with, because a lot of that was window light, there was no studio lights. Yeah. So I started sitting people next to the light, and I would, first I started with a white styrofoam mannequin head, and I would sit it there, and as a kid I remember taking that pencil, and if it was 12 noon, the light looked one way, and I would put a line right here and put 12 noon. Now it wasn't necessarily right here, mm -hmm. but as the sun moved across the sky, it changed the shadow on that, on that white styrofoam head, mm -hmm. and I would mark the time. And that's how I knew what time to book my photo sessions because I saw how the light that's was crazy. working. Well, <laughs> in the best possible way. It's, you know what I, I feel like we always sometimes as people, like if we don't have everything that someone else has, we can yeah. see it as a, short, as a shortcoming or yeah, like a yeah. misfortune. But I find it actually makes us better, stronger, more creative. And so I'm saying it's crazy because it's like you found your own way to learn how to be your best self. Well, there was always an example of it, the sun. The yeah. sun, if you look outside, the sun lights everything. But there's also the objects in nature that reflects light as well. Yeah. So when I learned that one light can do it and then you can reflect it, and then by night the moon did the same thing, but it was just softer. Mm -hmm. And I learned the quality of light, the color of light, the temperature of light. And I knew how to light a photo before I knew how to photograph it. So like while I was in junior high school, early years, senior high school, I was getting hired by seasoned photographers to light pictures. Mm -hmm. Like uh, Fats Domino's Christmas cover, uh, Cindy, a photographer named Cindy Bird hired me mm -hmm. to light that cover. Yeah. And it was a difficult cover to light because he was sitting on a Cadillac that had reflective paint on it. It was a real Cadillac that cut the back off and made a couch 
and put it in his room. So you had to make the lights disappear and not show up in the reflection mm -hmm. of the car. And it took me about 10, 15 minutes to do it. And in my brain, it was easy because I remember lighting these objects by my window and it's about hiding things and making them disappear or right. appear to disappear. And then I noticed that one day people started referring to me as an artist. And it yeah. took years for me to accept that because I kept thinking an artist had to be trained, had to do certain type of classes to do that. But there was a, a guy named an artist, a true artist, John Scott. His stuff is all over City Park. It's got the spirit gates on top, on the side of Noma. And he took one of my images one day and he Xeroxed it. And when you Xerox an image, it makes a powder residue on white paper that, that the ink sticks to that paper. Mm -hmm. So he took the paper and then he put it on a wooden board and he took acetate and put it on the paper and he peeled it off and my image, the powder transferred to that wood. Right. And he took a tool called a Dremel and he just carved my image on that wood. He inked it, put ink on it, took a white piece of paper and pulled it off like a Cracker Jacks tattoo. Mm -hmm. And that was my image on the paper. He said, Gus, this is your image. I trace your image. He said, stop trying to learn how to paint with an ink pen. You create image and you paint with light. He said, a lot of people can't do that. Right. He said, I can't do that. So when you want to keep saying you're not an artist, you are. You're, you're just painting with light. Right. And I would agree. You are yeah. very much so an artist. And I think from deep within. Yeah. You know, anything, any place, anywhere you go, you're going to add something that wasn't there before. And, and well, it's always there. It's always that there. Was not. No one knew it. Well, you, it took for you to see it. I've seen yeah, you do yeah, it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it. It took for you to see something that we that everybody was missing. Yeah. Let me say that it, it, it existed obviously because you pointed it out. But you just have a, a knack for it yeah. of, of how you do it. I think that's just to be celebrated, and it has been celebrated. Yes, yes. I, but I, but here's here's what, here's what I think what happens with most people in life. We are so preoccupied with the things that we see mm -hmm. that the things that, like, you know, fate is mm -hmm. evidence of things hoped for, the substance of things not seen. Everything that we need to survive and, and do well in this life, it exists. We just don't see it. Yeah. It's always there. For example, I tell people, after it rains, reflections to me is God's way of reminding you to look up. Because everything you're looking down mm -hmm. at is already above you. But most people, even after they see the reflection, they continue to look down in that reflection, not realizing that what they're looking at is not only backwards, it's also upside down. So if that becomes your way of seeing things and, and normalizing everything, you got to say, okay, look up and you'll see it not only the correct way, but it'll be the right side up mm -hmm. and correct. But we're so preoccupied with life that when we see these beautiful images like on reflections in City Park, right by the two lions, mm -hmm. and we see those reflections all day. They're upside down and then backwards. Yeah. And if you go out there every day, you see the beautiful sky making this beautiful image. Well, I decided to photograph reflections and hang them on the wall upside down and backwards. And they made it perfect, and people thought it was a watercolor painting. But I just think of it as a child. You know, you just, you know, everything that I do in life, I approach it from the perspective and the curiosity of a child. And sometimes I oversimplify it. I think everybody could do it. Mm -hmm. but. I think if we take a moment in life, everybody, it doesn't matter what you do, and realize that everything that you can do and any, everything that you should do starts from that perspective of thinking like a child and then let it go. And the universe is going to do, the universe will do the rest, you know? I just have to exhale. <laughs> I just, I'm, I'm not trying to be funny, like, 
I just really think you're amazing. I think your vision, your insight, and the way you approach things are just unorthodox, innovative, creative, but true and obvious in the most not obviously. Like, that's how I have to explain so, it all. So here's the flip side to that. The flip side would be normal. So when you ask yourself, being normal as an artist, think about every creative that right, you know. Right, because it's so unnormal. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, think about Mystical. That sound wasn't available till he made that sound. Right. You could think of a whole bunch of artists that they came up with a unique sound. Remember the Foo Snickens? Mm -hmm. That sound wasn't available until they did it. And mm -hmm. people talked about it and other people embraced it. Sometimes you just have to embrace the moment and just allow that natural spirit to take you, even if it feels like it's unfamiliar or seem like it's crazy. Because think about it, when I first started, my first project, I took dead leaves and decomposing stuff from Hurricane Katrina and I embedded it inside of people's faces. Yeah. That series was called Organic Watermarks and it was the, on the only reason why I did that is because people kept asking me, show me the picture of the destruction. Show me all of the breaches and show me the watermarks on the side of the houses. And I showed them exactly that. In the best possible way. But I remember tribalism and scarification and African symbolism. And I found watermarks and put it on the side of people's faces. And then I made Photoshop look like it was keloid. Listen, that's the best type of normal I ever heard of. I'm sorry. You know, <laughs> that is you know. the best type of normal. Yeah, so. so I want to talk really quickly because I know I, can't, I don't have you long. Okay. But you did the Joan Mitchell residency. Okay. How did that come to be? So the Joan Mitchell residency was the first residency that I did. Mm -hmm. And I kept seeing other artists that I knew that was part of that. Mm -hmm. Matter of fact, the lady who did Barack Obama's portrait, she was at the same Joan Retro okay. residency uh, in New Orleans. And I just applied for it. Mm -hmm. And I was accepted on the first try because people saw, I submitted the 12 series, black code and organic watermarks. And everybody thought it was paintings. And then they realized it was, was photographs. It was photos. Yeah. And I think I was the second photographer in the space. The first photographer just did traditional photography, shredded, and then fused them back together like a basket. And I was like, I decided I wanted to do something different, radically different. And inside of, it was a six months residency and I think I did about nine or 12 different series mm -hmm. and bodies of work. I'm still processing it now in 2020. It ended at the beginning of 2019 and I'm mm -hmm. still processing images now. I think I did about 12 terabytes worth of images. Yeah, you were doing a lot of shooting. Yeah, I never. I don't think I ever slept. I always sleep yeah, for like three. Yeah, I was like, where are you? I'm, I'm, I'm shooting. I'm shooting. Come through. Shots. Yeah, come yeah. Through. It was a different type of shots. We were not yeah. cranking. It was shoot, shoot, shoot. Yeah. Like all the time. I just. It was crazy. And you left out of the space. Like they had a space for you. You're like, no, I want to be outside. Yeah, I be shoot here. because I, I went back to that window light. You know, I'll, I'll end it like this. My mother, when she put the camera in my hand, she said, "Baby, I can't teach you photography." She said, "So you're gonna have to learn on your own." She said, but uh, God had to be a photographer because the first thing he said was let there be light. And photography doesn't exist without light. You can think it exists, but you have to have light for photography to work because it's about shadows, highlights, and some midtones. She said, and just go outside and take pictures. Use the garden as your background. That was the metaphor for the Garden of Eden. Mm -hmm. She said, but your job is to correct the image because we messed it up.
She said, and I knew I could never make a perfect image with people. So that's why I just every day I get up and don't I don't charge people. I could be a multimillionaire if, if I wanted to. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, to I have. Well, it's coming. <laughs> it's coming. I, I assure you it's coming because today is much better than it was in mm-hmm. 2009 when I left my job. Just yeah. gruntled. Right now, I, I walk into places and I get treated like a celebrity even when I don't want to. I don't want the privilege. I go to second lines and people want to put me on the inside of the room. Yeah. And I told them, no, I want to be like everybody else. I want to hustle for the shot because that's where the magic is in the hustle. It's not being treated with privilege because if I just start getting the privileged shots, they're going to look like that. You know, so I, I can't follow up on that because... After you say, Mama said, go and say, let that be like, he must have yeah, yeah. I mean, what, what do you say after that? Yeah. So the ultimate goal now is to get that original image yeah. of us in that garden, metaphorically speaking, mm-hmm. and get it right. It will never happen. I think I'm, I'm going to be celebrated more in debt than I am in life. And that's fine with me because it's all for my son. Everything I shoot is for my son. You well, know. listen, I, I want people to see, if they haven't already, all of the great works that you have, all the projects. So where can they find you and how can they get in touch if they would like to shoot with so, the famous Gus Bennett? Well, just send me a message on Instagram or go to my website, GusBennettPhoto.com. Mm-hmm. And there's a contact button. Just hit the contact button and we'll call and set up the sessions. Okay, and do you know what your social media is? Because you're not really social, but you be social. You post. Yeah, I'm actually, I post, but I stay quiet. So I think it's at Gus Bennett, I'll tell you. No, on Instagram, it's at Gus Bennett Photo. Photo. It's the same. But my website is Gus Bennett Photo. It's the same. Even my email is Gus Bennett Photo at Gmail. So all you need is Gus Bennett Photo. Yeah. Okay? Thank you so much Thank you. Thank you for having me here. This means the world to me, and I feel like if they go and check out what you do, it'll change their lives, and yeah. that's why I love what you do and how you do thank it. Thank you, thank you. And just just keep being amazing. Oh, I do have a gift for you. Duh. Okay, There's okay. There's always a gift, okay? <laughs> I love gifts. So they're going to get it from me. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, of course, I always have a gift for my guests. And I'm so gonna, this is for I'm going to wear the daylights out of it, too. <laughs> <laughs> because we just think that you're amazing. So thank you so thank you, much beautiful. for joining thank us you. as we social distance. I love and it. thank you guys for tuning in. Until next time, remember, never let anyone dim your light or mute your mic. Peace. And if they <laughs> dim your light, create a new one. That works. <laughs>